1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. Now,
2: here's your host, Steve Saki. Hey, welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. Steve Zaki here, and joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline from sunny Florida. It is everybody's favorite Formula One analyst. David Hobbs, welcome to the show, sir. <laughs>
3: Thanks very much, Steve. Well, it's certainly sunny, and it's hot down here as well, I can tell you that. that. So, uh, is it? Uh, I believe you're having a pretty reasonable day up there, but uh, anyway, good to talk to you again, Steve.
2: Yeah, likewise. I just wanted to have you on the show and just kind of get caught up, because I know a lot of people I ask how you're doing and everything, and so how
3: is David and the family doing? We're doing fine, thank you. Um, the guy is down here with us, and... Um, He takes a daily trek across the road to the shop to buy a paper. Uh, And I just hope he doesn't bring the COVID back to us. But um, we're doing okay. Uh, We're not, you know, Florida's not as locked down as you guys are. Um, We've sort of got a half-hearted lockdown, although Mags and I have locked us, we've not locked ourselves away, but I mean, we're not doing anything. So it's very quiet. And of course, it's particularly tough for us racing fans because there is no racing. Except, I believe in half an hour. Uh, well, in 20 minutes now, on NBCSN, they're going to have another I race from, of course, um, the Bible Motorsports, which is where they would be this weekend anyway. This, of course, is IndyCar. So, um, I haven't I haven't seen any of that I racing yet. Um, obviously, unless it's actually on network, I'm not going to watch it on my computer. Um, but I gather. A hell of a lot of people watched the NASCAR race last week. Something like 1.3 million people tuned in uh, to watch an NASCAR race. So I guess it just shows how desperate the fans are for some sort of racing action.
2: Yeah, no, the first uh, IndyCar one was not broadcasted on TV, and they had over 600,000 total hits on it. And oh, yeah. NBC Sports oh. Network said, we need to put that on uh, our network. So... That's why this one is on. So it'll be interesting to see how that carries out as we go through this. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about is last night I watched the on Netflix. There was a new documentary on uh, Juan Manuel Fangio, and very very interesting because you know let's face it, you know they had the Senna documentary uh, about five six years ago, which was very good and that. But Fangio over the last you know twenty years maybe has kind of gotten forgotten a bit. And it was really interesting uh documentary have you
3: Have you seen it by chance or well i haven 't I have seen it's on, but of course, I need to choose my viewing time i can 't do it in family viewing, so I have to do it in the morning and I keep forgetting it at the right time of day but I believe it 's a very good documentary, and i haven 't watched any of the netflix f one series yet either, um, which has also been a huge boon to um to f one here in the States in particular. But of was Fangio was an incredibly interesting guy. I mean, um, he was a racing driver of the old school. I mean, he just started working on cars and then started doing that Brazilian kind of stock car championship and um, gradually segued up the ladder, drove sports cars. Um, of course, there were a lot fewer and far, farther between then. Um, and then ultimately worked his way to Europe and, uh, and became the preeminent Formula One driver of his day. Um, and of course, you know, people say, well, who was the best? Was Lewis Hamilton as good as Fangio? Was Schumacher as good as Fangio? Was Jimmy Clark as good as Fangio? Sterling Moss always told me that he thought Fangio was the greatest F1 driver of all time. And that was when I thought Sterling was the greatest F1 driver. Um, Sterling was a match for him in sports cars, um, but Fangio was obviously had uncanny skills. Of course, in those days, you had to have a lot more physical endurance not so much strength. Nowadays, you've got to have very strong core because of the side force and the, and the G loads of modern cars. Uh, produce, you know, on braking, even on acceleration, they're over, you know, a couple of three Gs. Braking, of course, they're up to four and five. And, of course, cornering, they regularly corner between four and five degrees, or uh, five Gs. That didn't happen in the old days. Skinny tires, you know, poor road services. But, of course, the races went on forever. I mean, they were like three and a half hours. Um, so, so you had to be pretty tough. The exhaust pipe you know, front engine car, the exhaust pipe ran right by your either your right or your left elbow. The fuel cap is a great big filler cap right behind your head. Uh which they slosh fuel into out of a pan. Uh a la NASCAR, but I mean this is right behind your head, I mean like six inches away from your head. And everything's red hot, the car, the exhaust pipe, everything. Um so it required a different sort of stamina and um Sterling Moss's crowning glory, if you will, was when he won the uh, Mila Milia, which is a thousand mile race around Italy from Brescia right down to Pescara uh, on the Adriatic coast and back over the mountains to Brescia. Uh, and he won that at just a hair under a hundred miles an hour uh, with uh, Jenkerson. Um, Dennis Jenkinson was sitting in the um, passenger seat and they had done a lot of wrecking and, and, and Jenkinson had a very primitive form of uh, rally notes, which is on the scroll. And he would say, you know, mid-speed left-hander coming up, humpback bridge coming up, slow down, you know, 80-mile-an-hour max and all that sort of stuff. So, tremendous help. Um, and everybody forgets, this was in a Mercedes, of course, 300 uh, SL. Um, and everybody forgets that Fanjo was not far behind and did the whole thing on his own. Uh, so, obviously, Fancho was a pretty special guy and, of course, won his last Grand Prix and he was about 44, same as Jack Brabham, Sort of thing we won't see today, I don't think. No. Anyway, really not. that's my take on Fancho without seeing the documentary. All of you yeah, well,
2: and I, and I think the one point they brought out, you know, when the, when they judge, you know, it's so hard and I don't like doing it. I always thought, um I think it was Mario Andretti that said, you know, he, he, he likes to diffuse the situation when people I ask him who the best was, he always would say Nuvolari, and everybody would kinda of look at him, you know, kinda of funny, like what? You know. Yeah. So um because it's like, you know, who's better Babe Ruth or Hank Aaron, Michael Jordan or LeBron James and all of that, you can go round and round. But the one thing that is, that's impressive and they brought up in the documentary about Fangio was that Every team he went to, he won. Whether it was Maserati, Alfa Romeo, Mercedes, you know. So, I thought that was very interesting. Every he made every you, know, you didn't make him a winner, but he was able to win with with every team. And yeah. uh, the other thing I I was I was really surprised they had, they were interviewing Total Wolf uh, about Mercedes, and I I never thought of this. I never knew this, but there is only there's only been five drivers that have won in Formula 1 for Mercedes. That's Fangio, <laughs> Mas, uh, Hamilton, Botas, and Rosberg.
3: Wow. I didn't know that either. Well, of course, Fangio, you know, everybody says, oh, Hamilton's only so good because the car is so good. Or Schumacher's only so good because the car is so good. Well, obviously, the best drivers always drive the best cars. Mm-hmm. And, Fangio was no different. I mean, if he's driving a Ferrari, which he's won the world championship in, then he sees a, a Maserati is clearly, you know, nearly as quick as him. With somebody else driving it, he thinks, that's what I should be driving." Um, and so he did jump from team to team. Now I'm sure that um, he probably improved the breed as well by going. You know, told them, Man, don't, don't, don't at least do that. Do that. Do the other." Of course, the, the ability to um, change the car in those days was you know nothing compared to today because today of course you've got that bugaboo you've got those damned aerodynamics which come in and screw absolutely everything up um so now you've got to have a degree in science to even make the thing start um and so fandio was obviously very adept at choosing the right car at the right time um which all all the best drivers have done um but that is a very interesting fact. I, I, I certainly didn't know that either. Yeah, wow. Um,
2: Sean Kelly with that one next time you chat with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. Sean yeah. Kelly is yeah. now stacking yeah. motor oil. I saw to... <laughs> that.
2: <laughs> for those who may not know, uh, Sean yeah. was the statistician for, for the boys on the NBC network back in the day. Yeah. I've only well, met him a couple times, and he's a brilliant, brilliant historian when it comes to formula. Yeah, well,
3: he's a savant. He's a savant, yeah. to it, really, because he, he doesn't really do. I mean, he starts off at Speed and stayed with uh, the Formula One when they moved to uh, uh, NBC. But in the meantime, he also does. I mean, he's for Sky. He, I can hear those guys talking stats like Profty when, when he can get in, you know, when he's not shouting. And he says, "Oh, this will be the 99th lap that he's led, or whatever." I think, oh, "There we go. There's all he's been. He's reading. He's reading shorter notes again. Uh, they all use him. Uh, the, uh, Sky uh, Formula One. What do they call him? RAI, The Italian Formula One people. Everybody uses him. So, uh, and he is obviously unbelievable. He really is."
2: Well, David, we certainly appreciate you uh, coming on the show. And how's the dealership? Uh, how's Greg doing with the dealership and, and, the, well, and the cars and everything during this time?
3: The governor deemed that car dealerships were essential, so we're open. Um, you know, we're selling a few cars, nothing like what we normally would do. And our service department is, is still working. We are trying to you know, encourage people to do everything online as much as they can. And we'll deliver the car or we'll pick it if you're for service, we'll go and pick it up, take it back, uh, work on it, then we then we thoroughly really sanitize it and take it back. Um and hardly really see the guy, you know, just leave it up the doorstep and shout at him from eight, eight feet away saying, Yeah, hey, it is it is all cleaned up. Um so yeah, it's going. Um obviously it's very stressful for Greg. Um that government loan program, you know, through the Small Business Administration, is now supposed to be in force, but as usual, nobody's ready for it. Uh, obviously, it has to be the money has to be delivered to banks, and uh, we get, you know, we can take out a loan and get some of our payroll paid, uh, and as long as we use it for payroll, and it is, we don't have to. It's a it's a forgivable loan. Um, so obviously, all car dealerships are trying to do that. The problem with that is it has a cap. But well, there's only a certain amount, so the early bird catches the worm, and um, it's not that easy to apply for because the rules keep changing, and so the form keeps changing. But but Greg's struggling along, and the dealership's there, and it is open, and anybody's welcome, and we sanitize everything, and everybody, and everybody's wearing masks, and we try and do everything, you know, at least six feet apart. We don't let too many people in the showroom at once, so it's there, it's going, um, but you know, obviously it's about a third of its normal pace.
2: Okay. Well, very good. I know uh, I'm going to have to get my CRV that I just purchased over the winter for my first oil change. And uh, Oh, good. And so uh, I'll be uh, checking in with you guys in the next couple of well, weeks. Well, so hopefully. Good. You
3: know, the racing will some time, but I don't see anything really get going anywhere in the world much before July. Um, if then. So uh, let's keep our fingers crossed it all fires up again. I'll be happy to talk
2: to you again. Okay, very good, David. We certainly appreciate it, and uh, looking forward to chatting with you again. That was David Hobbs on the uh, Great Midwest Bank Hotline.
4: Has your passion outgrown your home? A Great Midwest Bank home renovation loan may give you the space it deserves. Visit greatmidwestbank.com today. Simply local lending since 1935.
2: We'll be back after this on The Final Inspection Show. Back to the final inspection show. Steve Zaki along with Mitch, the Mayor Mitch, Mitch Ross joining us. Uh, and then on the Great Midwest Pink Hotline, it is Larry Janisek. And for those who might be new to the uh, show, we play uh, three questions with Larry. So if it's reverse, Larry's asking me the questions. So Larry, welcome to the show. Appreciate you uh, joining us. Thank you, Steve. Good to be on again. I would like to
5: start out with the hot thing Uh, the last couple of weeks has been this uh, virtual Mm e-racing. I'd like to go one step further, and that is with fantasy racing. In other words, my question for you is, what what would be the three tracks in your bucket list that you'd like to go to see races at? Now, these can be current tracks. Or tracks in the past that no longer exist.
2: Well, I'd have to go to tracks that no longer exist. I think uh, I've always said I would like to have been able to go to Indianapolis. Uh, you know, whether it was in the fifties, forties, or thirties, any any time, you know, before nineteen, you know, anytime before the mid-sixties, I guess. Um, just to see the changes, being able to see how the the track had changed and everything. Even though so mm-hmm. so much of it is the same, it's it's the same footprint, but so much that of it sounds changed. like one of
5: the reasons you like to go to the Miller meet just to be able to see the right. cars anyway.
2: Oh, and uh, the, the, here in Offenhauser, you know the the sound of a, of a four cylinder. High compression Offenhauser, you know, twin overhead cam is very, very unique and something I remember as a child. So, um, you know, and I was, even, even my mother mentioned it, I remember in the past. I mean, and my mother is not a gearhead, but she always said she loved the sound of the old offy engines mm-hmm. one day, and it kind of shocked me when I was a kid. So uh, that Especially always kind of made an impression. The reverberating off the roof. Right. And then that, that also had a negative component, uh because my first race was a stock car race in the in the late 60s, early 70s, in which they were running the Hemis yet, and I was not having fun, as my mother would <laughs> remind me, too. So, uh, of course, I did not have earplugs or anything. You know, we didn't do that back then. You just let the kid lose his hearing like everybody else. So, <laughs> uh, But getting back to those tracks, um, maybe a bore track, Altoona, uh, probably Beverly Hills, because Beverly Hills was, of course, in Beverly Hills. And you had all the movie stars that used to go there. And to see those single-seat Miller race cars driving at anywheres between 110 and 130. And some tracks, the, the track record, a lot of people don't realize, was set by Ralph Hepburn at the track in Florida. A uh, name escapes me that was wiped out by a hurricane. It only ran one race and got wiped out. But the record for uh, uh, on a board track was Ralph Heppard, and I think it was 1928 in a uh, Miller uh, 141 miles an hour. and we're talking about tires that had the tread width of about four inches. so yeah, think of that. I mean that's incredible if you think about that. And then maybe like a track like Langhorn, I mean just the the beast that was Langhorn, I think on the dirt uh the see a race there would be just incredible so yes you and i are like
5: twins from different mothers or something i had a big board track langhorn and uh oakland california that real high bank okay. uh yeah. oval
2: there <laughs> sure where they race right up against the wall yeah for yeah. those who are not familiar with it go uh uh google oakland stadium raceway i think it was Where they ran track roadsters and stock cars. If you if you remember you you see the cars at Darlington, Uh, they they ran even closer than Darlington all the way around. It's incredible. So take a look at that. You'll be it's 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 very interesting to see how quirky that track was, but yet it was actually rather safe though too. I think they only had one fatality for back then in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. That was pretty low. And, but I think part of the reason was because they were so close to the wall, you, you, only, you, know, you didn't really spin out and hit the wall hard because you were right up against the wall already. So interesting.
5: Okay, question number two. We've got a really neat situation coming up in Indianapolis over the 4th of July weekend due to the cancellation and rescheduling where IndyCar on Saturday is going to run on the road course and on the same day, the NASCAR Xfinity cars are going to race with them. what I, my question is, has NASCAR and IndyCar ever had a single day double header race before? No. I know at Michigan, USAC used to have stock cars and Indy cars on the same day, but I can't recall NASCAR and IndyCar doing that before.
2: Back in the uh, 70s, uh, they ran at Michigan. They would run they would run twin 200 milers with the USAC stock cars and USAC Indy cars. And they also did that at the old Texas World Speedway, not to be confused with the the current track in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. But this was uh it was a tr- it was a sister track to Michigan. Same basically yeah. same setup. But I was in College Station, Texas, where Texas A&M is located. And uh, there was supposed to be three tracks, and I forget exactly. It was going to be down south somewhere, maybe Alabama. They were going to build a third track just like that. And I believe uh, Larry, you might remember uh, Larry. I want to say Larry Lopatton was one of the guys. He was running it, or there was initially a, a group that did that. And there was some tomfoolery regarding financing and whatnot. And they were, uh, I believe, they went bankrupt, and I think I know Penske ended up buying Michigan and I forget who ended up buying Texas but Texas is still there but it's literally sinking into the ground and I think they actually finally tore down the grandstand in the last year or two so but yeah it was uh I'm not aware of uh, NASCAR and IndyCar or even AAA back in the day running on the same day anywhere Okay I, that I, that's my thinking I knew that uh, USAC...
5: I uh, did it at Michigan with USAC stock cars and uh, champ cars, but I've never known it to be with NASCAR. Okay, third question. Uh do you know uh what was the last year the Indy 500 had star uh cars that started the race and using uh carburetors?
2: Uh I believe the last was I think it would be 63. With the, yeah. the first Lotus, uh, the first Lotus uh, 29s, had the, the, it was a Fairlane-based engine, and then the following year they came back with the 4-cam Fords, but I believe it's 63.
5: Winner, winner, chicken dinner, according mm. to the uh, fact book I used, that's exactly correct. Okay, and, and a side note it. on
2: that, yeah, there's a side note I have on that, uh, So those cars also ran at Milwaukee in August, Mm -hmm. and uh, of course, Jimmy Clark won at Milwaukee the 63 Tony Bettenhausen 200, Um, and I always wondered why Dan Gurney finished third and was never really competitive. Did an interview interview with Dan Gurney about 10 years ago or so, and uh, he told me they only had one set of the correct carburetors, jets, to go into the carburetors. And, of course, that went to Jimmy because he was the lead driver. So he got a set that worked but not as well because what happened when he would go through the turns, you know, he'd kind of let off on the gas, and when he would accelerate, he'd have about a a second or so where it would kind of, and then it would kick in. So he could never get a real full um, at-anger lap at Milwaukee. That was the best he could do. Uh, considering the circumstances. so and did Foyt finish second? Yeah. And that was yes. a famous quote where uh, Clark could have lapped him, uh, and they asked him, why didn't you lap AJ? He said uh, uh, something paraphrase. Uh, it's one thing to beat a man, but it's another to embarrass him. So he purposely did not uh, lap Foyt. Mm-hmm. Got time for a quickie? Sure.
5: Uh, the Milwaukee Journal started this week. Uh, uh, series of the fifty greatest Wisconsin sports moments. Uh it's nice to see that auto racing was mentioned uh number fifty was uh Alan Kowicki winning the Winston Cup championship in uh ninety two. Uh, I was a little disappointed. Uh, I wonder what your thoughts were that maybe that wasn't rated higher. I mean it was good to get on the list anyway. Right
2: yeah that those are so hard to quantify where you would actually put that. I would uh, I know Jim Tradle, a friend of ours, mentioned that it should have mm-hmm. been higher also, and a few others. and but where do you put it? Uh, personally, for me, I think it's uh, a, a top twenty when you know the entire story. I mean, people go, okay, this guy from Wisconsin won the Winston Cup in ninety two. Well, it, that's not the story. The story is where he came from, how he did it, and everything else that goes along with it. So, with if you don't know the true background of that, it doesn't seem as big of a of a story or or, or you know a journey for him to to win it. So, yeah, I think it should be higher, but you know it's hard to say just where exactly. But I don't. I, I think 50 is is vastly under where it should be. Should it be 15? Should it be 20? Should it you know that's you can debate that, but not fifty.
5: I agree, and I'm just happy that it got on the list. But I agree, yeah. it should be higher.
2: Yeah, and uh, basically, all we can really do is just keep, uh, you know, keep keep the momentum of uh, Alan Kowicki out there, so people don't forget. And you know, I think I think that's that's been we've been successful doing that. And uh, you know, unfortunately, April's April Fool's Day has never been the same for me after 1993. Uh, the pain yeah. has kind of gone away, but it's still, uh, you know, it still resonates to this day, uh, losing him. so Larry, we Thank certainly you. appreciate you coming on the show. I was enjoying it. Looking forward to chatting with you again uh, next week.
5: Thank you. Stay safe. Stay healthy. You too. All
2: you right. Like- I, keep Bye-bye social now. distancing. All right. Yes. That was Larry Janicek on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline.
4: Has your passion outgrown your home? A great Midwest Bank. Home renovation loan may give you the space it deserves. Visit greatmidwestbank.com today. Simply local lending, Steve, since 1935.
2: When we come back, we're going to bring back the Polish pipe bomb, Jeff Orlowski, and talk a little more sports on the Final Inspection Show. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zaki, presented by the
4: legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The Fan.
2: Steve Zotky, along with Mayor Mitch, and the Polish pipe Bomb Jeff Roloski. How are you gentlemen doing this afternoon? Fantastic, Steve. Hanging you right
4: know, in there as well. Uh, it's been a lovely day here at 105.7 FM, The Fan.
2: If if you got, if any of our listeners are bored and you're on Twitter, uh, you guys might know about this one. It's Mugshoties. Have you heard about that site? No. It's M-U-G-S-H-A-U. W T Y mugshot. It's it's hot women who got arrested, and their mugshots. Okay,
4: I think I have heard of that actually.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's incredible how many beautiful women or very pretty women get arrested nowadays. <laughs> and then they also list what they got arrested for. So, nice. you know, some of them, some of them are just stupid. Uh, but then there's some that you like. Uh, you know, armed violence, possession of methamphetamine, attempt to deliver, two counts of drug paraphernalia. Uh, the rose on the cheek does not do her much justice, though. But the and then there's of a lot of diabetes. yeah. There's a few. You know, possession of firearm or uh, ooh, this one murder, shot her boyfriend 15 times. Okay, she's got anger issues. So yeah, it's it's interesting.
4: Okay, it sounds You're like a Sunday bad. afternoon for the pipe bomb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not?
2: <laughs> so, uh Packer news. So, uh free agent uh moves can get you excited in any? I uh, was uh the Devin Funches one actually kind of surprised me.
0: Yeah, it surprised me cuz he's old and he's not um you know, he had a lot of drops. Uh he's not particularly known as a receiver who can get open. Uh you know, he doesn't create great separation. So I don't see a whole lot of positive to it, but maybe that's just me.
2: Well, and you wonder if it's, uh, if it's just insurance, uh, you know, I, I personally, I don't see, uh, MVS on this, uh, on this team next year. Uh, Equimanius St. Brown will be interesting to see if he can come back from his injury. And then, uh, what does the draft, uh, yield, So maybe just a little bit of insurance, just getting another body in there, uh, you know. And if he's the number four guy, number three guy, you know, we'll see what happens. Because, you know, and and it's funny is, you know, you look at what the Packers are doing and some of the other teams, and then there's the Detroit Lions. Oh, the frustration of being a Lions fan, isn't it?
0: Yeah, you know, the fact that they want to move on so quick from, or you know, so bad from Stafford, uh, it seems like, and uh, he's been the only bright spot uh, on that team, and uh, you know, they've got a decent running back and all that, they got, you know, some some okay pieces here and there, they just can't put it together, so I am uh, extremely thankful that they are in our division, that's for sure, but getting back to the Packers with the wide receivers. You know, and I I expect them to take at least, you know, one, maybe two in the draft this year, but they sure as hell better do a better job than when they took those three that one year with, what, Allison, St. Brown, and uh, MVS, because none of those, or Moore, I think, was in that, Um, you know, none of those guys turned into anything. They were all, they're all trash.
2: Uh, Getting back to an hour one, uh, Dennis Michelson mentioned about the uh, uh, President Trump meeting with uh, the leaders of sports. Uh, Adam Schefter actually uh, listed uh, some of the people that are involved with it. Uh, Adam Silver of the NBA, um, uh, Rob Manfred of Major League Baseball, Roger Goodell from the NFL, Gary Bettman, NHL, uh, PGA Tour, Jay Monahan UFC, Dana White. WWE Vince McMahon, NASCAR uh, John Middlebrook or Jim France, and then Major League Soccer uh, uh, Don Garber, and then he also made a note that um, no nobody from the NCAA. So that, that was kind of interesting. No. Yeah. Once they so it'd be they, interesting uh, to see start
0: paying their athletes like they should. Uh, yeah. then we'll see, but uh, <laughs> you know, NCAA they. You know, a, a lot of those are state schools, so they got to follow whatever the state says. You know, they're not right. independently uh, run businesses per se, even though we know that it's a multi billion dollar industry. But, um, you know, they're not independent leagues where they can sit there and, you know, make up their own rules. They still have, uh, you know, state and federal guidelines that they're supposed to stay within.
2: Yeah, um, you know, and I I think, you know, if I would speculate, I wonder if they're going to be talking about maybe doing a soft uh, resumption of sports by doing the uh, let's start having some sports but with no uh, attendance, you know, for the first month perhaps, and maybe that way you can kind of bridge this lockdown, you know, let's say maybe by May 15th or the end of May, start doing that for the first few weeks, and then start, you know, you know, because I, I, I my, my theory all this is, is they're not just going to say, okay, we're done and open up the whole country, but there's going to be, you know, probably like, you know, your your states like North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming you're going to see that middle part maybe open before, of course, your hotspots, And then maybe by doing this with the sports, maybe they could be talking about uh, let's let's start playing some games and start bridging that gap before we can start letting people attend the game again.
0: Well, there's a lot of states in the middle part of the country that don't have the stay-at-home order, too. So, mm-hmm. you know, as of right now, I think there's 50, at least 15 states where there is no stay-at-home order. And most of those are like, uh, you know, Iowa and the Dakotas and uh, in that whole region. Uh Georgia's another one. So, um, you know, it seems a little weird that when you have three-quarters of the country that does have the stay-at-home order and then you've got uh, a quarter of the country that doesn't uh, – you know it makes you think that maybe the curve will flatten here while it's getting worse there right
2: yeah i think you know i i get frustrated with these people saying well oh, it should be a nationwide thing well yeah okay but do we i don't like i don't like doing blanket stuff just to do blanket stuff and you know there's there's hot spots there's areas but let's face it the United States is a huge, huge place, and it's not all New York, it's not all country, it's not all rural, it's not all suburban, but it's different. There's different areas, and, uh, you know, we, we should be judged that way, you know, instead of just saying, okay, everybody, you know, is... So that's just my theory. Um, anything else that's kind of tripped your trigger these last few days, Jeff?
0: you know just you know it's still hitting me that uh that i'm not able to to watch baseball every single day and uh i hate it and you know missing the races uh nascar and everything is is one thing and that's that's one day a week and i'm sad every sunday that uh that there's not a a nascar race on but I'm I'm sad seven days a week that there's no baseball because you know you sit there you you go to work and uh, deal with the kids and all that kind of stuff you get them in bed you sit down on the couch and you flip on the baseball game and uh, that's that was my everyday life for years and years and years and uh, you know life is definitely different now I uh, like you I I don't like the whole blanket thing and uh you know i'm a, uh states uh you know should kind of make up their uh, their own minds on on most things but uh when it's something like this you know it's either you either got to do it for the whole country or you let everybody else make up their mind. and when you look at the hot spots like uh you know new york and uh you know, when you have 10,000 people living in the same building, what do you expect? Of course, it's going to run rampant. Everybody's on the same elevator. They're pressing the same buttons. They live right on top of each other. So, you know, in that aspect, I understand why rural areas out in Iowa, and obviously there's tons of rural areas in upstate New York as well, why, you know, the whole stay at home thing isn't as important but you're still you know you're still running the risk and i think that anything that has a chance to extend this any longer i am not a fan of because i cannot wait for this to get lifted
2: mm-hmm. uh mayor mitch what's breaking uh today well adam schefter just tweeted out that the
4: regarding the conference call today with trump and uh, sure. all the commissioners that Trump believes that the NFL season should start on time in September. Um, but it seems like he also followed that up with they'll have to make sure that, you know, the medical people think that's a realistic timeline. So as of right now, I guess Donald Trump the message was that the he he believes the NFL season season should start on time in September.
2: Well, you know, and I I forget who exactly was was joking about it. One of the talking heads on T V says, Yeah, yeah, if you want people to really get serious about social distancing and that threaten uh threaten the sec with you know with college football being (laughs) postponed or canceled because of this and they'll certainly get their act together with social distancing and everything else i I totally agree i you know I, i i guess what and and you know what this is is you you need to have a carrot for the public and so when trump mentioned that about easter he was trying to give them a, a, a carrot that maybe we can do this, and what, what you don't want to just say you don't want to be gloom doom and gloom and, and you're, you're trying to keep you're trying to get the nation, you know like okay positive that's okay, you know because it, uh, somebody mentioned about uh, running, you know if you're running a marathon when you run 15 miles you're like oh I can't do more. well wait I I only need to do you know so much more and as long as there's a, as long as there's a finish line that seems to be attainable that helps and i, I think that's what the you know the, the 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 politicians and the people in charge are trying to do is saying okay we can get through this let's try and get through this month okay now this is where we are at now now we need to do another you know 15 days 30 days whatever it's going to be so i i think that's why there we're i i, th- I think that's why you might hear something Uh, when they're able to with the sports, saying, okay, we're going to resume sports but with no attendance for now or whatever. So it'll be interesting to see what that happens. Uh, Jeff, I did want to mention, ask you this about Blake Martinez, who signed with the New York Giants, and uh, he gave a a quote that got some traction last week about the Packers don't uh, value inside linebackers as much as other teams. And I thought it was also interesting that Kyle Fackler also signed with the Giants. Does that kind of mean that maybe the Packers guessed right by not re-signing these guys because they went to the Giants, or is is he true with that? Is it just a scheme thing? He didn't like the scheme, or what do you think on that?
0: Well, I think it, uh, you know, I'm not, I, I was a, a Blake Martinez fan, and he caught a lot of crap, a lot of comparisons to A.J. Hawk because he was making tackles, you know, three, seven yards down the field but he made every tackle and uh and he also like AJ Hawk uh was was um extremely he was he played every game yep. so you know they were durable and uh and good tacklers and yes you know a lot of it was uh uh you know a little bit downfield where he's making the tackles but he said he had no gap responsibility as an inside linebacker so it kind of makes sense why uh why the tackles were being made three to five yards down the field so i definitely am in uh, blake martinez's corner as far as that uh the fact that that he's gone now and uh you know we don't have anybody to uh to fill his spot makes me hope that uh There's a good linebacker at number thirty for uh, for the Packers to take, but you know they've got a for a team that made the or the uh, NFC Championship game last year. It definitely seems like they got a lot of holes to fill. Both you know they got receiver, they got linebacker, offensive line. Um, You know it's they they've got a lot of work to do, and uh, they haven't made the splash in free agency. Like they did uh, the year before. So I think, you know, they're banking on the draft and they need, which is what they're going to need to do because they've got guys that uh, are going to have to get re signed and who are going to make some money. But, uh, you know, you and you need the young guys on young, cheap rookie contracts to fill out your roster. But if you don't hit on the majority of your picks, it's you know, it has the, the definite
2: possibility of being a rough year. All right. Very good. So thank you, Mayor Mitch and uh, Jeff. We'll talk to you guys next week on The Final Inspection Show.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?